0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a
1: podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. This is Ariella Adams with the Superlative Podcast. I am joined by Marshall Sutcliffe, He has a lot of things, but primarily in the watch world, a YouTube channel called Wristwatch Revival, where he basically does little watch restoration projects. Uh, He gets some watches and he restores them. Um, And then you know, to support him, you can sort of click on these links to buy some high-quality watchmaking tools if you want to do it yourself. And Marshall, we'll just jump into it. Why do you think that restoring watches is fun? Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well, you know... And by the way, I want to say thanks for having me on Ariel I really appreciate it um you know i, I used I grew up around cars my my dad was a mechanic his friends are all mechanics my uncle my grandpa race cars all of it and so when I got old enough to have a car I of course was working on my car and modding it and doing all this stuff to it but now I live downtown I live in an apartment like there's no room for cars I don't have any of that stuff and I got into watches a while back uh you know owning them but I don't know. I started to think maybe I could uh, take one of these things apart, see what's inside. You know, it got that curiosity and I did so. That's brave. Uh, and it, was a horrible, it was a horrible disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took it apart quite well. I was really proud of myself. But getting it back together was a complete non That's so, what
1: they say. It's, it's, it's like it's, the logic is if I kill it, of course I'll be able to bring it back to life, right?
0: Yes. And I very much killed it. It was this poor Seiko 5 that I had and uh, it's still sitting in a box uh, disassembled somewhere. But anyway, I did that. And then I set it aside for a while and I thought, okay, I may have jumped in the deep end of the pool. But then uh, a little later on, I I found um, some videos on YouTube by a guy named uh, Mark Lovick. He he has the watch repair channel. That's what it's called. He's been doing it since 2013 or so. And I started watching his videos and I was like, okay, I'm starting to understand the basics of what he's doing and how he teaches it. And so then I decided to revisit and start, you know, buy some better tools and start so, to get into it. And, so hold and on, who was
1: this guy? Where, where, did he have like a real watchmaker's education? Was he, was he another hobbyist? Like, who was he?
0: Yeah, so he's a professional watchmaker. Um, I, he didn't go to any of the the big schools in Switzerland, but he apprenticed at age, I think he said he was 18 or something. So he's, you know, and he's like late 40s now. So he's been going at it for 20, 30 years now. And um, he's... I I've never met him. He's kind of my hero, <laughs> to wow. be honest. I mean, I just love this guy. Like, I've learned so much. He's given me this, this awesome hobby. Uh, and what he actually does is uh, he actually uh, did some classes. So you can go on his site and you can take classes that are like beginner watchmaking classes that he did himself. He made YouTube video or he made videos that explain the basics and show you how to do all that stuff. And I took all of his classes and the combination of watching his YouTube videos. I think I've watched literally everyone he's put up and the, the other stuff. Um, you know this, he's a real practical watchmaker, right? Like this is a guy that worked independently. He's an independent watchmaker. So he's just doing repairs, changing bracelets, you know, the, the whole nine. And so you get a real practical uh, education. What, what would
1: the opposite of a practical watchmaker be? Like how would, a, um, how would you be So somebody
0: that works at one of the big Swiss companies, right, they, they, they almost treat it like it's surgery, like brain surgery, right? They wear those coats you know those <laughs> those frocks or whatever, and it's the like, lab like coat, st- the, watch the lab lab coat. The right? It's a sterile work environment. There's all of these rules. You know, you never touch this. I have with to this. keep out
1: the dust.
0: <laughs> exactly, and you know, I get that, right? And and if I worked at one of those places, that would make sense. But you know, the, the fact is that while that is best practice for us at home who are working on watches ourselves, look, I don't have a clean room. Right. I'm literally I do my work at the same desk that I'm recording this from right now and that I have my computer at. Right. And I'm happy because it's one of those desks that goes up and down (laughs) so I can at least be half a watchmaker and get it up to my eyes. (laughs) uh, You know uh, what
1: nobody thinks about? Nobody hmm. realizes that the ergonomics behind watchmaking is complicated. You have to sit in sort of an awkward position for (laughs) a long time and not move. Like for me, like I have like bad circulation. I can't even keep my, my arms still that long. I need to flail them about like, it's, it's sort of like the same concept of being a sniper, right? You have to learn all these like breathing techniques and focus and not moving for a long time and waiting Dude, careful, careful. Movements. I should have
0: named my channel the watch sniper. Like that is amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yes. It is like being a sniper when it, and especially if you're doing it as a career, which I'm not, I'm an amateur, right? I do it because I love it, but you know, you're putting in your eight hours. Yeah. You're sniping. I mean, you're sitting in the, in the woods there and you got to sit still and do that for me. If I get, if I, if my back gets sore or whatever, I can just go for a walk and it's no big deal. Cause I'm doing it. Cause I love it. But yeah, but, you know, watching the videos from him, I just got fascinated, right? I mean, I don't think anybody that is even remotely into watches, and I can tell you effectively everybody who isn't into watches isn't amazed when you turn over a watch that has a display case back. They're just, whoa, right? It doesn't matter if it's a piece of crap you know, bottom tier Miyota movement, if you show that to somebody while it's running, they are just like, cool. And they'll look in. And this has been your experience, right? Mm
1: -hmm. What's that? This has been your experience?
0: Absolutely. People are fascinated by this stuff. And, you know, when I started the channel, you know, my other career is also in content creation. So this isn't my first foray into it. And I put a lot of thought into this stuff. And one of the things that I really wanted to make sure that I did with the channel was open it up to to people who weren't as hardcore as you and I are about watches, right? That I don't want to assume that they know all the things I know. Now, look, I have to recognize that a lot of the people that are going to watch my videos are into watches, so I don't want to talk down to them. But I also don't want to exclude people who don't know. You know, I want that door to be open well, so that they can You get and I interested.
1: we're like uh, evangelists of the things we're passionate about. Like nothing yes. makes us happier than having, you know, new watch lovers or whatever lovers that we're into. Like yes. it, but we don't care what watches they they wear. I think it's an important distinction. We want people to love the hobby. We don't care if they like what we like. And I'm 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 actually fairly certain you're going to agree
0: with me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, when you find something special, right, that means something to you that you go, "Okay, this is an activity or a hobby or a passion or a pursuit, and it actually means something to you, right? Like inside, that's something you have to grasp, right? You, you, you don't want to let that go. And if you're built like how you are or I am, that means you have an urge to share it. You have an urge to open that door for other people because you know dang well, it's not just you and it's not just me. Other people are going to find this interesting as well. And, you know, when I look at the comments on my channels, On my channel, when I get somebody that says, okay, you inspired me to try this out, right? Like, I want to do this. That's what I love to see because I'm like, you should do it. Like, this is a really fun hobby that you can do from your desk That you don't need special skills for outside of practice and and watching videos and stuff. You do need some special tools. That can be a a barrier to entry that's a little too big for some people. But you know, any hobby is going to cost you something. You can't go to Home
1: Depot and get pretty much anything that you'll use.
0: (laughs) Nothing. No, God, no. The tool, the tools are like both the best part of the hobby, right? Because tools are sweet. But my God, I mean, like for Christmas this year, I got tweezers that are designed just to pick up hands. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like how specific can there's, you get?
1: There's very few watchmaking tools that do more than one function.
0: Yes, and and in fact, if if it does do more, then air quotes real watchmakers will probably look down on you for using it. And you know?
1: <laughs> there's so many, so much variety in tools that do the exact same thing. I found
0: it's true. That is also true, and I mean that. I like that part because it means that I can get it in at an entry level and kind of understand how the tool works and how often I use it. And it gives me something to shoot for, you know, to to, to get down the line.
1: And there's no yeah. power tools, basically. I mean, there are machines that do things, but when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, like the watchmaker tools, they're they're basically like dental tools. You know, they're just these like they are. little rods that have little removable heads. And once in a while, there'll be something for polishing and something for cutting and something for scraping. And, you know, it's... yeah. Part like it seems like a lot of it is this sort of memorization of what are all these tools and how do I use them?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm looking around my my little work area right now, and yeah, there's literally not a single tool around me that requires electricity. It's it's all you know handmade, hand done stuff, and you know that to me is another huge plus. When when you work on a computer all day, I I do for my content creation stuff I mentioned, but many people do for many you know accountants. Everybody's working at the computer all day. Boy, you know you really do kind of lose that connection of having stuff in your hands, building something, putting something together, troubleshooting something physical. And even though I mean I grew up on video games and I'm just as, you know I'm a big computer nerd and all that, so I, I'm not one of those people that's like get me off of this computer. I'm going to go chop some wood or whatever. But dang it, if there isn't like a little part of my brain that really does like holding things in my hand, and this satisfies that this feels like it used to when I worked on cars, you know, you work on a car, it's not working. And you have that big moment where you sit down and you turn the key and does it run? right? It's the same thing with the watch. You put the whole thing back together, you put the balance wheel in, and does it kick up and go, or do you have more work to do? It's the same feeling, so and it's a real thrill. Let's
1: make a little bit of a sort of contextual statement here. I think it's important mm-hmm. to distinguish the fact that being into watchmaking is not per se the same thing as collecting watches, or liking the design or history of watches. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of different ways of being into watches. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're into multiple things, but like, watchmaking um, you know, is sort of its own special area of this. And It's totally okay to be a watch enthusiast, like a hardcore watch enthusiast, and have no interest in watchmaking. Other, likewise, there's a lot of people who love watchmaking and aren't interested in the like the jewelry component or the luxury component or the high prices. For them, the fact that there's sort of this luxury industry is, um, it's not this irrelevant. They almost prefer it to be more mainstream and pedestrian. You know, like more yeah. more regular people had these issues.
0: Yeah, for me, it's like an extension of my passion for watches in general. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm one of those people. I don't consider myself a watch collector, but I probably have 40 of them (laughs) because I hate selling them. I I hate the process of selling them. I hate putting them up. I hate negotiating. I hate all of that. So I've got a bunch that I could, you know, do without, but I just have to figure out the best way to sell them. And I'm, and I'm too focused on doing other stuff to figure it out. Or you could sacrifice them. mm Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but you know, for me it it accentuates the appreciation that you have for these things when you actually can get into the the workings of them, right? I mean, you know, my journey having taken apart quite a few watches now, you you can get a feel for the personality of the people who made the watch, right? Like Like Swiss watches are different from German watches and are different from Japanese watches, different from old American pocket watches. It is incredible that you can go, I understand that this person sees the world from a different angle, and that's how they produce this versus this other thing.
1: Such an interesting concept. Like, give a few examples.
0: So, perfect example is uh, what they call the click spring, right? And when you wind up your watch, That's actually the sound that you hear that click, 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 click. A lot of people think it's like gears, you know, meshing together or something like that. And it's 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 actually so the
1: mainspring doesn't unwind itself.
0: That's right. Hey, good. Very good, Ariel. I like this. Knows his stuff. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So it basically just allows the mainspring barrel, which the mainspring is housed in, to turn in one direction and not in the other. That's all it does. It's a very simple device. If you look on most Swiss watches, They use what is ultimately a fairly complicated little setup that involves a a shaped piece of metal that has a few little prongs sticking out of it. It's kind of a weird shape that is then screwed on to right next to the barrel. And there's a little tiny coiled spring that goes underneath it to provide tension. Now it works really well, but it's like three pieces. It's like a screw, the little piece of metal and the spring, and they all have to be kind of set perfectly before uh, you can do them. It's beautiful and it's elegant and it works pretty darn well and they're pretty robust. You go to a Seiko movement (laughs) and the Japanese design aesthetic is like, what is? how can we do this with the fewest number of parts in the simplest way possible? And what they use is a long piece of metal. It's thin. It has one screw that holds it on. And all it does is push itself up against that uh, the mainspring barrel's teeth So that when it turns, it can go one direction and not the other. That's it. It is just a piece of metal which pushes up (laughs) against it. And it does the exact same job. It's perfect. It's it's like the simplest thing. It's the simplest possible explanation for that problem. It's really cool. Hmm? And And the Germans, what they do is they have this similar setup to the Swiss, except for that instead of using a small coiled spring, which is, thinner than a hair basically underneath it. They make this huge beefy, uh, it's, it's called a spring, but you wouldn't recognize it as one. It bolts onto the main plate and it has like an arm that goes over and that's what provides the tension. And it's by comparison, it's probably 150 times thicker <laughs> than either of the other two. It's this like overbuilt, you know, yeah, tank. that's of why a it
1: feels, that's why German watches feel like tanks when you operate them. Cause all the yes. pieces are like bigger, <laughs> thicker, but it feels so solid. It's, it's like, it's
0: amazing it when you use them. It will push back on you. Yeah, they are, they are they are over, you know, and I mean this in a good way, they're overbuilt. Well, right? look, they're, look
1: they're, let's t- talk about the, the Allong, and Zona, Allong and Zona watch that had mm-hmm. 31 days of power reserve. This mm-hmm. is a perfect example of it. This watch took years and years for them to figure out because when a mainspring barrel it's one mainstream barrel that has enough power for thirty-one days. It's fully <laughs> that's wound.
0: Absurd. Thirty-one days. Yeah. Wow.
1: The, you know what the hardest thing is, and this is the first watch I know of that's a wristwatch that d- dealt with this issue this way, and then subsequent watches did the same thing, but they went back to having a keyed winding system. So rather mm. than rather than turn the, the you know with your with your hand to wind mm-hmm. it. That that didn't provide enough torque, or like your fingers couldn't do it. So they gave you a key that you stuck in the back of the watch to turn the mainspring barrel, because you 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 just simply
0: couldn't do it by hand. That makes sense. You can get so much more leverage, and you know, because what they're fighting with when they do that, when they're trying to get the longest out of a mainspring is that well, the mainspring length and the thickness both affect how much power it puts out, and then of course. On the other end of the wheel train, where the power ends up going is to the balance. And they'll usually try to use the slowest balance, meaning that it, it oscillates the fewest number of times per minute in order to try to facilitate the most length of time as that mainspring unwinds. So they'll usually use what they call an 18,000 train on those to try to get the, the biggest length. I wonder if, if uh, Alanga did for that. I'd be curious.
1: But, I, I don't know. Yeah, we, but We have no a whole you podcast just about
0: it. Oh, yeah, oh, sweet. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Just about that it. one watch. I love it There'd be yeah, enough to talk
1: great. about. honestly, there'd be enough to talk about. Okay, maybe you can answer an age old question. This is a tough one, okay? okay. It's not okay. a trivia question. This is like a mm-hmm. psychology question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Appreciating watches and appreciating cars very often are things that the same person can do. you mm-hmm. You like cars and watches. I like cars and watches. I'd say 80% or more of the people I meet that like watches also like cars. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the question. These are very similar hobbies, but they also have differences. But those differences mm-hmm. can be very challenging to sort of
0: identify.
1: What, in your opinion, are the differences between being into watches and being into cars?
0: Yeah, there, there are very few. Uh, you know, when it comes to form-following function, right? I think that's something that a lot of people are attracted to, so that's a similarity. Uh, The mechanical aspect, of course, is a similarity as well. Um, One thing that comes to mind, at least for me, is cars are considered a necessity, watches are not. Um, I know car guys who couldn't give a crap about watches. I don't know very many watch guys that don't give a crap about cars, right? There is a level of Impracticality that cars don't have. Of course, many cars are very impractical, but they're based on the idea that you need to get yourself around, right? You you cannot function. Most people couldn't function in in, at least in in, like where you live and where I live on the West Coast without a car, and all of us could function without the watch. You know, it's been said a million times. So, you know, to me, if I were to look at the person who's who's into cars but not watches, that's probably where the dividing line comes. Uh, where on the other side, if you've already made the leap to be into watches, well, I think, you know, the cars are going to come along with it. Okay.
1: I got a whole list of things.
0: You get, throw something at me. I'm curious. Okay.
1: All right. So let me respond to the one you just said. Correct. Um, I angle it just a little bit different. And that is, mm-hmm. there still is a mainstream demand for cars, right? Right. right. You, everyone, not everyone, but it, it's, it's something that many people get that I'll never consider themselves car lovers. That means there's a, an awareness There's an industry that affords an economy of scale. By comparison, when it comes to just sort of the overall engineering and stuff required, cars are way cheaper. Sometimes they cost more, but the economy of scale for cars means that they're affordable with watches. Right now, the production is so much smaller that that you don't have that. There Mm -hmm. is no mainstream demand for mechanical watches in any way, shape, or form. So it is something that you have to stumble upon so to right. say, and right. it takes a lot more effort to be into and you can't just go into a bar and be like, let's talk about the new mechanical watches, guys. Yeah, but you exactly. can get a lot of weird looks.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you can imagine somebody learning to drive when they're younger on some junky car and maybe even their family doesn't care about cars. It's not part of their you know, but life. But they could be a race car driver yeah but they go, you know, if I push this pedal here and it went faster, that would be cool, right, and all of a sudden, they're down the road on on the car thing. but if you don't ever have a watch on your wrist, yeah, you're never going like, well, I wonder what it would be like to wear this other one or you know what what you know what is this yeah, say you're, about yeah me? you're
1: never going to have that curiosity so, so that's that's yeah. one thing mm-hmm. um even though. Cars can be gorgeous and beautiful and actually complement your style. They don't have a fashion element like watches because you don't wear them. And that also mm-hmm. changes it a lot. You, they both have a lot of messaging power, right? So the watch you wear, the car you drive obviously says a lot about you. But you can practically own a bunch of watches in more places of the world than own one or more cars. And this is really important. Like, think of like a place like Singapore. Okay, Mm -hmm. a lot of disposable income, a lot of interest in showing off wealth, no ability to have a car or store it anywhere. Owning a car in Singapore is so unbelievably expensive because of all the fees and things like that. It's just, it's impractical. So, Mm -hmm. as much as you want to be into cars, you just can't. Mm -hmm. But watches, even in the relatively small place that you live in, you could still have a bunch of them. So, there's an international ability for more people. Of course, they have to have disposable income, but to be into watches and cars. I mean, you grow up in like I grew up in Los Angeles. Like you just take for granted like of course everyone can have a car. Wouldn't you crazy you could have two if you could afford it, maybe three if there's parking. Like that's right. (laughs) So many places. I mean, I travel to Europe a lot and like Paris, Geneva. I mean, owning a car in any of these places is a disaster. Just think about parking it. Oh God.
0: Yeah, every, every time I go to Europe, it's the same thing. Nobody I know that lives there actually has a car. They're like, no, what? No, yeah. of course not. And like, that's why, why do
1: supermarkets that? don't even have parking lots. I don't yeah. understand that. How do you have a supermarket? Yeah. Like imagine like having like a big supermarket <laughs> in America sans a parking lot.
0: I know. It yeah. has like a 7-Eleven parking lot and it's for all of it's funny. You'd have protests, you know. Mm-hmm, you would. but But it makes sense what you're saying because – yeah, like, you know, no matter what level of watch you're entering at, right, money money aside, from a pure practical storage standpoint, you can have 5 of those and it your living situation can accommodate it almost no matter what. Yes, right? absolutely. Where even one car it could be too much by a lot,
1: you know. So so I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of parts of the world that just never have the opportunity to appreciate cars like Americans in some other countries. Um you know, cars have a lot more space. They require, they're, just, they're bigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, what's, and I think the sort of fact that, that cars remain mainstream, um, is, it's actually an important lesson in the watch industry, I think, when it comes to smartwatches. A Mercedes only has the power that it does by contrast value. You see a bunch mm-hmm. of, like, lower-end cars, and then you see the Mercedes, or you're driving a Mercedes, like, wow, that's so much better. Luxury cars do so well because it's so easy to compare to when it comes to the lower end things. Watches, it's not exactly the same. With smartwatches, mm-hmm. maybe people will start to notice the things that are not a smartwatch. Oh, you're not wearing a smartwatch? Why? Um, and so I think that there's this sort of lesson that if more people wear smartwatches, the luxury watch industry or the mechanical watch industry, not even necess- I call it luxury because you don't really need it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could be, do a lot better simply because wearing a a non-smart watch will have so much more social impact.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Are, are you in the camp that the, that the Apple Watch will be great for, you know, uh, mechanical watch industry on the long term? My camp has always
1: been this. There is no doubt in my mind that Apple has the resources to make it successful over the long run, and they proved everyone right within about three years. Mm-hmm. So... If you can't beat them, you, you got to join the movement. You got to figure out where's my niche now. Mm-hmm. There's, oh, I mean, you and I are people that like things that work well. And we can see these sort of obsolete pieces of machinery and still think, wow, these are great. Like, I don't think that the, the emotional value that Watches gives us is going away anywhere. Right. So that's not going to happen. But their ability to compete is going to change. And the message needs to be, when it's the evening time, when it's leisure time, when you're on vacation, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be tracked or you don't want to have notifications Wear this thing, which is just, it tells you what you need to know. It chills you out. I think there's a calming effect that will, you know, it's sort of like your house shoes. You don't wear them out, but you can't wait to put them on.
0: Yes, totally. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's totally true. I mean, you know, it gets talked about a lot, but a lot of people of our generation um, grew up with swatch watches around and then that kind of fostered, you know, or, or digital watches. You know, a lot of us had Casios or Ironmans or whatever. <clears throat> you know, glow was a big thing when I was a kid. And, you know, and that at least planted some You remember there was a
1: Casio versus Timex thing? No,
0: I, I don't remember that.
1: There was a little bit. Of, maybe it was like this weird LA thing. But like if the Casio guy wouldn't wear a Timex and another. It wasn't <laughs> the one was better? But it was like Ford versus Chevy. Like you never yeah, really exactly. understood it. You're like, well, I don't understand it. But it's I I just People by default camps, was know. a Casio person, but I think it was also like you into the cool like Japanese brand. No, I wear American, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> but you know, we we so many of us though had that idea put into our head about a watch when we were a kid. Uh, I mean, not that you know uh, Apple watches are really you know for for kids, but I mean, I'm sure we'll see them on kids' wrists you know sooner than later, uh, commonly, especially for the the tracking aspect and that kind of stuff. I mean, that could be that that generation. I've heard people say that before, and it's kind of hard to argue against. You know, yeah. That, I
1: mean, it makes so much sense. It's better than putting mm-hmm. your kids on a leash. Like, I have a three year old, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, he. It's like they're just waiting to escape. You know what I mean? Like the chances <laughs> of them like getting lost. If you were just yeah. like, yeah, whatever, we'll find him. He's got the watch. That makes so <laughs> like the terror that parents have when they can't find their kid is awful. Right. And right. and. What it does to kids is literally put them on leashes or has them confined. If parents had, like, more comfort and calmness that, like, if their kid runs off 100 feet, they can find them easily enough, like, that's a game changer.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me that the, the interesting thing as it relates to mechanical watches is that there is a chance that the Apple Watch becomes too good. Right. Where you really can't go without it. You know, particularly I'm thinking of the advances that they've made in the health aspects of it with uh, the ability to track heart rate and heart irregularities. And, you know, I've listened to some podcasts recently that talked about it, the potential for it to test blood sugar on the fly. Right. Which would be a big deal for uh, people with diabetes. And then even a whole bunch of other people as well, where, you know, you can't, you know, like I wouldn't, I don't have an Apple watch. But my reasoning is, is because when I wake up in the morning, I think about which watch I want to wear, and it would never be the Apple watch because I I get excited about my vintage watches or whatever. But I would like to have that functionality. I I just don't want to, I just haven't quite come to the point where I feel comfortable wearing two watches. Here's the thing.
1: And you just hit it, hit the nail on the head. The answer that we need to find is not should I wear a smart watch. It is how do I wear both? That's the right. answer we're
0: looking for. That's what I want. Give me that, right? Yeah, like If they made it smaller, some will figure it out. I'm not worried about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I I think I think that if they provided me something that I felt more comfortable, like where it wasn't literally wearing two watches, I, I would do that because the functionality is already there and the possibilities, you know, uh, and in fact that they're actually talking about now are extreme. I mean, you know, we're talking about saving human lives here. So,
1: look, I think that smart watches are going to make sense for 10 to 20 years before it moves to the natural progression, which is what the sort of Google Glass was trying to be. Google Glass mm-hmm. is a very early generation product. There's a lot of right. things that we don't have that it needs to have, battery life among them. But right. that you wear something on your, over your eyes, because think about it, it can, it can somehow like read your head, so maybe it can, you, can, you can communicate just by thinking. It can show you mm-hmm. an input, it can mm-hmm. send signal to your, eye, to your ears, your eyes, you can hear your mouth. Like it just makes so much more sense yeah, being worn like sure. glasses. If anything, if anybody has anything to worry, it's the glasses industry. You're yes. screwed in like twenty <laughs> years, for sure. <laughs> um, but wearables that you know do like heart rate and stuff like that it doesn't just have to be worn on your wrist. There's other things. So I think that you know for ten to twenty years we're gonna have to figure out how to wear a smartwatch and a traditional watch, and after that, your wrist real estate will be available again.
0: Okay, well, as long as I still get to wear my mechanical watches, uh, I would love to have that added functionality from the, the smart device. But uh, I am unwilling to give up my wrist slot now uh, for my mechanical watch.
1: Look, I mean, <laughs> I think that the best thing to do is just try to start wearing both and then answer the question for yourself. Because I don't think it's going to be something we can like, learn on Instagram, like how to wear a watch and smartwatch. We just need to do it and figure out uh, what makes sense. I think somehow yeah. wearing them both on the same wrist is going to be the thing. Um, you know, I saw this actually early on when the Apple Watch came out. A couple people did this, and Zinn, German Zinn, actually did made it? a strap for this where they made it so that you had your your Zinn watch on the top of your wrist and the Apple Watch on the bottom. That's cool. Yeah. and
0: I've never seen that. Zinn yeah, made that? That's yeah,
1: cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, huh. those are got to be available somewhere. And so yeah. it it makes sense because... The smartwatch can still do all the smartwatch stuff, but it's not like this little screens in your face. I thought it was an elegant solution, even though the Apple Watch wasn't meant to be worn that way. But imagine if you had something that was like a little bit flatter, a little bit more like, you know, broad, more curved, you know, and it was meant to be worn on the bottom there. This type of stuff is going to come eventually. It just, it's just gonna require some serious investment. We already saw. So much experimentation of this variety a couple of years ago when the smartwatch became a thing. But what people quickly realized, especially all these like Kickstarter projects, was that they were ill-equipped to actually develop it. The technology mm. simply didn't exist yet.
0: Yeah, you know, because I would love to see you know along the lines of what you just said, uh, if I can have a watch band that went on a traditional watch, but that provided functionality, right? Where there was a screen or something built into it. You know, I used to have a, a Nike, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a, a thing you wear when you're working out and it was just a band, right? It didn't have a full on screen. It did actually have the ability to display information with these lights on it. But you know, if I could get something flatter, you know, down the line with, with miniaturization and that kind of thing, where I would be looking at, the the cool vintage piece that I want, but where it was tracking, or I could look at the side of it or whatever to to read text or something, I'd be into that.
1: Let's go back to watchmaking. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common questions and things that you get? People, you know, I think I think it's you speak about it sort of very cavalierly, like watchmaking is easy, and that's and that's you're fortunate because you are mechanically inclined that way. But this is really challenging stuff for people to get their mind around, for people to do. um, You know. Like I said, like if you have like bad circulation, you know, like you shouldn't be sitting there doing watchmaking. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not accessible for everyone. So just help shed a little light on some of the common things that people uh, are are trying to figure out or or, or curious about.
0: So w- one of the questions that I get the absolute most um, is how do you know where all the parts go? Right, because the basic. A task that a watchmaker like me would, and, and, you know, the, the term watchmaker means somebody who works on watches. A lot of people get that confused with somebody who literally makes watches, like manufactures them, which of course I don't do. Um, but what, what a watchmaker does is, is service a watch primarily. And what that means is you get the watch, you take the movement out of the case, you completely disassemble the movement. So every part is stripped down to its components. Then it's thoroughly cleaned in a watch cleaning machine. Then it's reassembled and lubricated. And that's, that's servicing a watch. And that's something that needs to happen periodically to a watch to make sure that it's running well and continues to run well uh, for, you know, as long as you live or even longer. And so, of course, right, when you get done taking apart the whole thing, you're looking at this pile of screws and levers and springs and gears and you're like.
1: There's like, what, about 150 to 200 parts on the average movement?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say that many on an average movement. Less? Um, You know, yeah, there's fewer on like a a base level, like a Swiss, you know, non-calendar, you know, uh, three-hand movement or whatever. You know, there's probably like 60, I'm guessing, 70, 50, something in that range. Oh,
1: that's really simple. Oh, like on a Unitas or something like that.
0: Exactly, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. On, yeah. on like a more base-level movement. And then, yeah, it goes up from there, you know, calendar adds quite a bit, and uh, God forbid you get into a chronograph, you know, now you're now you're talking in the big kid territory there. Yeah, yeah that's hundreds. But, yeah, but it is interesting because, yeah, I've worked on cars since I was a kid, so I have a, a mechanical brain, if you will, <laughs> not literally, but, uh, yeah, I, I see things in that way. But also, I, it was really interesting because – I struggled with answering that question about how do you know where every part goes, because as I've gotten better at this and learned more and more, I find that I can identify the parts by looking at them from memory and also from process of elimination. Now, I don't know literally every time, every single part, and I'm lucky because I do videos right? So if I ever get stuck, I have a 4k overhead shot, well lit reference video that I can oh, reference if I good need point. to. And that's actually how I started the channel. <laughs> Funny enough is that they always tell you to take photos as you go when you're learning so that you can remember where stuff goes. And I thought, well, I am not going to take a photo. I got a camera, right? So I just set it on a tripod and pointed it at it. And then I was like, Hmm, this is kind of cool. Like, I can watch myself take this thing apart and put it back together. I, I wonder if anybody else would like to watch that. And then, uh, you know, the content creator side of me kind of took over and all of a sudden I had overhead lighting and this rig that I made so that I could have two camera shots on it at once and blah, blah, blah. I went, I went down the road as I tend to do once I got a, an idea that I really liked. But, um, you know, so I do, I do use that as reference, of course, if I ever get stuck. But I did see somebody on there uh, on, on my comment section replied in a way that I thought really made sense. And this is, this is what it was. He said, let's say that you are at your home, right? And you were going to have, uh, the walls painted and new furniture or, or new, uh, new carpets put in. So the company comes out and they move everything that you own, your couch, you know, your dresser, or everything, your bed, it's all out on the front lawn. They do their stuff and they say, okay, where does everything go? Right. You could be looking at a pile of 50 to 100 pieces of furniture and decorations and all this stuff, and you would know where every single thing went. Right, You wouldn't have to go, well, how am I supposed to figure out where the bed goes? You're like, well, I know where the bed goes. Right. I, I,
1: I, I have to say, and again, it's just sort of this distinction of personality types. Your ability to have that type of spatial intelligence along with other things, I'm not saying it's uncommon, but it's by no means universal.
0: Sure. And you look, if if that is something that you struggle with, particularly, right, if it's something that you're like, I could not remember that, that is what smartphones were invented for, because you don't need an elaborate camera setup to point a camera at what's going on, and then do it. Now, that to me is where the mechanical experience helps, I can look at the way thing, the thing is laid out on the camera and go, okay, so this hits this, and that hits that, and then that's held on by that. Okay, I got it. Right. And that might be harder if you don't have as much experience, but you can do it. The, the, these things, when you break them down into their fundamental chunks, if you will, of a basic watch movement, they are not that complicated. Each piece is fairly simple. It's just when you look at it as a whole that they're really complicated.
1: I, I look, I agree with you. I mean, look, there are notoriously complicated complications and watch. You know, movements to put together. But for the most part, it's not a complicated thing to do. With some training, pretty much anyone can do it. Absolutely true. Definitely. Um, with, with that said, I think that it's, it's sort of very important to recognize the fact that there's maybe an inability to want to learn new things, right? Adults find it very difficult to have the patience to learn new things. Kids, have just less on their mind. They're, just, they're, less, they're less occupied with stuff. Yep. You have a, a, a level of discipline, if I, if I will, that, mm-hmm. again, some adults have, but very few end up having. Um, what do you attribute that, that high level of discipline to?
0: Passion. I love this stuff, right? It fascinates me. It genuinely, you know, to, to think, I mean, every, again, everybody that looks at the back of a watch, or get to see a movement running, you cannot help but stare at it for a little while and go, what is going on with this? Like, how did somebody come up with this? How is this this small? And it actually works, right? And so for me, I, I needed to know that. But then, so the hobbies that I go for, Ariel, are the ones that are have a very high ceiling, right? Um, the things that have attracted me When
1: you say high ceiling, give a little bit more context. What do you mean?
0: So I mean things that are extremely like you're never like I don't I don't golf, but golf would be one of them. Um, I play basketball. I've played it basically my whole life. Basketball is one of the few sports that you have to play everything at. You have to play defense and offense. You have to have the skill sets that go along with all of the things that happen on both sides of the court. And you're never going you're always going to be bad at something at basketball no matter what. Um, gaming, right? Like poker, I, I play semi-professionally. There's always something that you can improve on at that. And when it comes to this, you know, so you're saying you like just you, you, like, cla- you mm-hmm.
1: like pursuits that have an extremely high bar to, I guess what you call mastery.
0: Correct. That's exactly that's a perfect way to put it. Perfect way to put it. Because I like to pursue things that are really hard and that that are that I know I'm never, I mean, you know, given at the stage of life, I started doing this, like I'm never going to be one of the best in the world at this ever. Right. I mean, the people that did that started when they were 17 and they were better at it than I am now when they started. (laughs) Right. And then they went to like, you know, fully fleshed out Swiss schools and apprenticed under great masters and all. And I know that that's not going to be me, but dang it. I have a goal, at least that my, my, my next goal is to be able to service a chronograph with some level of confidence. And, uh, there's a Mark, uh, the, the guy from the watch repair channel is, uh, has been working on the next level of his course and that's going to have that in it. So I am preparing for that to come out at some point and I'm going to dive into that. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea of taking on something. That leaves you a lot of room to really try to get as good as you can get at it, and that's what attracted me to this and why I <clears throat> took the classes and have really. Done so
1: it. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. If you like to play really really hard games, that means you don't win very often. Is are you okay with the fact that you don't win that often?
0: Sort of. I'm I'm competitive, so what I do is I look at it relative to my peers or relative to other people around me or that kind of thing. So, you know. For example, in poker, right, your, your win rate isn't actually that high, right? You, it's funny because, you know, people think, well, if you're really good, you can win a lot of money. That's true. You absolutely can. But when you look at how it plays out, you have to put in a very large volume of of playing in order to realize. All I
1: is the house always wins. So I know I'm always going to lose.
0: Well, okay, but the, but poker is different. But right. poker doesn't have uh, a built-in mechanism where – you are automatically a loser because you're playing against the casino. In poker, you're playing against the other players. Now, the casino does take a small percentage from the players as a group, and you do have to overcome that. But, you know, if you sit down at blackjack, you play perfectly, you're 48.5%. You can literally never I win. Know, I never thought
1: about that. So yeah. you never, you never just have like one person playing poker.
0: Right. It's always against other people. So. As, as good as I can get relative to them is how much money I can make. <laughs> interesting. So,
1: That's interesting. So as long as as long as long you're like, you know, you could either be the fastest runner or make sure that no one's faster than you.
0: Sure. Yeah, exactly. Either way will work, right? Because you're not playing a rigged game. I mean, I never, like, when I was playing poker, um, you know, for part of my, you know, money uh, my income, I, I never, ever, ever played any of the table games. I never played any, cause those are all just loser. You just can't win at those. It doesn't matter what you do. If you enjoy playing them, go for it. Right. I mean, burn, burn a few hundred bucks and have fun, but I personally don't get enjoyment out of, out of that. But when it comes to the watchmaking thing, it's a marriage because it's not just me trying to get good at watchmaking and seeing how far I can push it. It's also the content creation angle. Right. I mean, I'm I put a lot of effort into that side of the thing, too, into the filming of it. And and I want to have a channel that stands on its own. And I want to have a channel that when people come and watch the videos, that even if I never make another one, that they say, hey, these were cool. I like watching these. I got something out of this. You know, let
1: me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You were making content before you made content about watches and Mm -hmm. you're, you know, Sort of relatively new uh, to making content about watchers, I mean I've been doing it for like you know nearly fourteen years now, yeah I'm um, very, very new, yeah, so here's my question. as you entered the space, you probably made a survey of the major media that was there and things like that, and you know you're coming from cars and you know uh, gaming and things like that that all have like very well established media spaces I mean between mm-hmm. cars and games, the amount of publications out there is just staggering and and they have years and years i mean. I mean, I remember as a kid there'd be gaming magazines. Be, there's gaming magazines for probably nearly 40 years now, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the watch space, which is older industries than them both. Yeah. <laughs> but has relatively, I don't even know, how, I wouldn't even know the word to use. It's just not very well established, weird. A lot of, you know, professional amateurs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what, did, what did the watch media space look like to you then? And what are your thoughts on it now?
0: Well, uh, you know, when I came in, it was it was funny because my my first love with watches are vintage Hoyer, and so that led me to OnTheDash.com by Jeff Stein. He right, the one I know Jeff. Yeah. Nice guy. yeah, and and Jeff's a, a somebody who I've I've never met or talked to, but I I mean I I think he's amazing, like a, a true collector and he, a true he, he is. Ambassador. He's, a,
1: he's a he's a true watch nerd. He's the... Yeah, he's he's it's very difficult to listen to him talk and be like, oh, you're bullshitting me. No. Yes. (laughs) He's like such an honest, like nice, just into it for the history and the fun. And now that no, no image, no pretense. Anyways, go on.
0: Yeah. And so when I first found On The Dash, I started uh, devouring that stuff. But if you go to their main uh, uh, forums, uh, Chrono Trader and then the one for On On The Dash, I mean they're they look like they're from 1997. I well, mean they are like threaded. I was like what is going on here? <laughs> right? Like the, the not only are they still using forums, which I had been a big part of a bunch of forums when I was younger, but they're not really a thing anymore <laughs> on the same level. But these were the ones uh, that like, you know, sign up with your AIM account or whatever. I mean they were insane. And I thought, wow, this is this is really lagging you know this is these are this is a niche community and this is not as robust as I kind of figured it would be but then you know eventually I branched out I found Hodinki as kind of the 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 you know loudest one I found your site and I was like oh okay there's people pushing here right these are you know th- this is a very disparate thing where there's these sort of antiquated uh forums that one you know, most of them Right. The people are like, oh, you gotta head over to Time Zone. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go there. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this? Right. And you get to a bunch of them, you know, they're mainly all like that. And you know, I was adept at using forums after having been on and them for time cars And Time Zone literally
1: stuff. was started in the mid-90s. And I know the guys that started
0: it. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. And I mean, I think it's great, but it felt like it needed a refresh, right? And as I uh, started to to look for more watch content on YouTube i started seeing um new you know people that were what i would consider traditional youtubers right like hey guys you know that whole thing um talking to the camera I'm not super into that stuff. Um, It's a
1: lot of weird stuff. YouTube is the strange YouTube. YouTube and then Instagram after that is where all the strange watch guys live. It's very weird. Yeah,
0: and and that was actually the big thing for me was finding Instagram for it because I had an Instagram account but I I rarely used it. The my other content creation gig, everything's on Twitter, right? Like I I have my following is on Twitter. It's all the conversations happen.
1: There's like not a lot going on Twitter in the watch space.
0: No, I don't even have a watch, uh, Twitter. Like I don't even for my channel, I don't even have one at all. Cause I just don't see anybody talking about watches there. It's all on the gram. And so I went on there and I found it okay. Um, I like that People are so willing to talk, like just DM each other and be like, Hey, I saw this. This is cool. I think that part's really great. Um, I get a little bored of people who only put up wrist shots. It's just wrist shot, wrist shot, wrist shot. You know, and it's like, cool. I mean, I, I kind of am interested it's, in your collection. Boring but,
1: it's like you want like 15% wrist shots. Otherwise, let's save it.
0: Right. And I just, I, and I definitely don't like the people that are like stunting or they're like, hey, check out my, you know, I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, I don't really, I'm I'm interested in kind of more well, specific Well, this
1: is the luxury in industry. Yes, don't forget I understand. That. And,
0: and that's the, to Showing me, that's off the crappy part. Part of the, part of the culture. I, I just don't really have it in me to care. Look, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, like you. I find that behavior kind of repulsive.
1: But again, you you don't have people spending big bucks to keep this industry alive unless you have insecure, wealthy people hanging out here. It's just true. that simple.
0: I totally get it. It was like that in poker as well. There There's, you know, whales that fed the fish or however you want to put it. So it's cool. Like, I don't... You know, I just don't really engage you know i i I just I like, like the fine. whales
1: feed the fish. I've never heard that that's nice, yeah,
0: well, and then the idea is you're the shark, <laughs> so not not
1: yeah. not that like you know fish actually eat whales no uh, <laughs> yeah the, the, this
0: chain of, <laughs> of this food chain is a little weird yeah but uh, but yeah and and you know, but then finding Instagram um, has been, has, has been really good. Um, I, I, this is the first time I enjoyed using Instagram on any capacity. So that was cool. And now I find things in a, in a weird space and as a content creator and somebody who's thought a lot about this stuff, boy, it is, it is a weird world right now where I feel like people are, there's a lot in flux and there's, people are sort of trying to figure out how they fit into what things look like. And, you know, most of this is based on um, Hodinki right, and and the crazy stuff going on over there with all the money and the uh, extremely aggressive monetization well, of they, everything. They, they, they got have. a
1: big loan and they mm-hmm. told everyone about it and how much they'd like them to help repay the loan. So that's basically what all the noise is about. It's yeah, we just got I, a bunch of fine. money I we just to pay don't back.
0: Want that? I, I, <laughs> I don't me, want I, it either. I don't look at that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I I really respect um, how you've approached things for a blog to watch. I I I believe that there is an appropriate. Look, you, sh- you built something great. You should be able to monetize it. It's better for everybody if you do because it lets you make more stuff and keep making stuff that people enjoy. So that's good. But there's certainly a line, and I mean, I'm not trying to badmouth them but because I, I still read some stuff over in Hodinki, but I mean, I used to read everything they put out. And now I'll maybe read a thing a month or something because I just, I don't... I it's not that I don't trust the individuals like I know that they're they're good writers and good people but I'm like I used to work in corporate world too like <laughs> you, you you just can't say things when when the the big kids are watching over your shoulder I just I know well, how it is you just don't want to piss anybody off and for me I'm like that's just not useful anymore Okay so it, let me know, let me, me
1: respond here first of all let me say this mm-hmm. uh some of the good writers over there I actually personally trained Um, Oh, good job, because I think think they're really good. (laughs) Well, I think that what's going to happen is as the company transitions from being a media company to a store, which is basically, you know, it's nearly all entirely a store at this point, Mm -hmm. those people will find other work somewhere else. I firmly believe that.
0: I would Um, love it if they did. I would like to hear their opinions again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, with that said, here's the bigger context of what's going on and what you sort of noticed. Now, the car industry and the game industry approach media in their own way, but they're generally supportive of it. They understand that a robust media means that there's people learning about their products, being you know, at least funneled into purchases, it creates conversations, you know, it allows people to express passion. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, all of that seems to be good for business. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they support a thriving media, and likewise you have a ton of titles. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that money flows. Mm-hmm. When money flows, you at least make sure there 's thriving media you don 't have to fund everyone out there, but you make sure that you know you your what you make is a thing because the media says it 's a thing that 's super important and you and I know mm-hmm. that implicitly. The watch mm-hmm. space has always been very very different, and right now we 're in a we 're in a position where they have made uh either through negligence or through intention essentially the decision that funding marketing is not a priority. Even though they know that by not doing that means there won't be media, they essentially are completely okay with the notion that um a, a media industry does not exist. And it used to, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was a bunch of publications, da-da-da-da-da. Now it's 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 almost nothing to what it was. And I'm not saying yeah. they don't spend on marketing, but but the responsible big companies. They, they simply do not. Rolex, for example, right now does not spend any money on watch media online. Now, you have to understand that traditionally, like the back cover of like every single watch magazine would have either like a Rolex or a Patek Philippe ad. So, it's right. not that Rolex has has had this long history of not supporting watch media. They used to for a very, very long time. But they made some odd decision to not do it online. And mm. I, the reason they've done it is essentially they want to encourage their retailers to advertise they're worried that if they spend money on advertising because it's expensive the retailers just sit back and just you know keep getting oh, sales so what they were trying to do and i'll have to say unsuccessfully at this point is to get the retailers to start you know forking over some of the money to advertise online has not happened and there's there's actually some good reasons the re- retailers haven't done it because rolex makes it horrendously restrictive and basically you can't advertise how you want to advertise. But that's another story. Mm -hmm. That has sent a message to the watch industry that the most important company that quote-unquote has their shit together does not see value in advertising uh, on watch media online. What that has done... And again, these are, these are also companies that's, that pulled back on print basically entirely. So now there's no money to print media and there's also no money to digital media, mostly because no one's really thinking about it and no one really makes it a priority. So it's not like this like, you know, this like, you know, the people in a room somewhere in Switzerland being like, we're going to kill watch media. No, it's just right. complete incompetence.
0: Duh, and, that's insane. I can't believe I, that, that, that. It makes it so clear when you put it that way. But I'm also just shocked. Right? It, like it this, is shocking. It's such a short-term, but look, thinking.
1: I I like to think of myself as an open-minded person, but you know, I sort of think you know you grow up with sort of like West Coast liberal values. You know, like everyone in the world that like has a brain sort of thinks this way, and mm-hmm. then you travel to places and and you find that other people with just as much intelligence and education think
0: totally different ways. They come to different conclusions. It's Switzerland
1: weird. has a very different idea about. Uh, how to do business, how to do business with them, you know what they want, you know, what their position is in the world, how to use things. And Switzerland is a very, um, they don't want to share. right? Yeah, it's like yeah, money yeah. in Switzerland stays in Switzerland. If you want to come to Switzerland, you bring your money and your good ideas and then maybe we'll talk.
0: Right. They
1: don't want anyone but their own to make any money. And maybe there's good reasons for that, but what it translates into is international media publications around the world ain't getting anything.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, as a on the ground consumer of both the content and sometimes the watches, it's interesting to see to see this happening because you would expect there to be a very robust uh media, you know, around this stuff right now. And it, it clearly exists it's just going the other way. I mean, you know, because and I, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind that have been interesting offshoots of it. Um, One of them is what we were talking about with Hodinki going sort of in that direction, sure. tor- you know, towards LVMH and towards that stuff where there's like you kind of standing your ground. And I know, uh, you, you know, our friends over at Fifth Wrist uh, yeah. Radio, yeah. right, like very firmly saying, I mean, in my mind, actually too much saying, and I've talked <laughs> to, to Alex about this, by the way, but uh, we're, we will not take any type of sponsorship or money basically at all. Right. And I'm like, well, you can make more and cool stuff. If you do, it's just, you have to do it responsibly. Right. And keep that ecosystem without the big watch brands potentially or whatever. But it is interesting because that these things are being spun up in response to things like Hodinkee and things like, you know, that there's a lack of media. And I find that interesting you know, I heard somebody say once, you know, th- this was in response to the whole travel clock debacle where they said, <laughs> look, they're a business. Like, why is everybody so mad? They're, they're allowed to make a thing and sell it. And it's like, well, of course they are. This, is, this,
1: th- is, this is what it is. Hear me mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. People are angry because they say, OK, they say they represent us. They say they're mm-hmm. like, you know, for collectors, buy watch collectors. Yet they make something and sell it at a price that nobody wants. You, right. you look does, so deaf congruent. right now. How dare you do something so completely off kilter? LVMH does it. They're just some big luxury conglomerate. They don't really know what the community wants. Right. For someone that says they lead the community to do something that no one in the community wants, it's just, it's it's ironic. It,
0: it doesn't line up, right? And, and so, you know, when, when I heard that comparison hey, they're a business, they made a thing, you don't like it, move on, right? That didn't sit well with me because I'm like, hold on a second. Because they're it, Let's say it's this, right? It's a website or an, and a brand or whatever that you go to to buy stuff. I know what they are. They're a full retailer. That's what they do. If they said, hey, we came out with this cool travel clock. You can have one for $6,000 or whatever, right? I would say, well, that's stupid and I don't want it. But I wouldn't have any interior feeling about that other than I'm not buying that. But when that thing came out, I did have a feeling about it. I thought, what the hell is going on over there? You could be this out of touch, right? And it's because they were not Turno when I found them, right? When I found them, they were like a blog to watch. They were enthusiast-driven and within the realm of acceptability, they monetized their stuff. This is like now they're (laughs) – I would never go to Turno.com to read an article about a watch, right? I'm like – I know what I'm getting. Oh, They're do you know about the turnout? So that uh, they can the, sell more of them.
1: <laughs> they had they had a watch blog for a year. I did not know that. Oh my god. Oh. We'll talk about it another time. That didn't last okay. very long. That was hilarious. Right. And
0: and again, if I saw that, I wouldn't even go. Because I'm like, I know what you're doing, <sighs> right? Like I get it. It's just that's fine. You know, take a stab at it by all means, but not for me. Like I want to, if I'm reading a review, I want somebody's opinion. I want to know what they actually think.
1: So let me know? let me say this. I, I I would very much like to move in the direction, we talked about this before we started the show, um, mm-hmm. and I've been doing a lot of investment in it of of being community-supported. A blog to watch has always seen itself as being an extension of the com- community and, and doing the work that it does for the benefit of the community. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that it's community-supported because that means we get to work for who actually we want to work for, which mm-hmm. is nice and elegant and, and, and good. Um With that said, in defense of the advertising model, I'll say this. We can remain entirely authentic and still be advertising-based for this reason. There are enough amazing brands that make amazing products out there each year that we can easily say, you know what, we will take your marketing dollars and work with you to create all these great promotions and enthusiastically talk about your products because we genuinely like them. Uh, I think the most important thing that we do is we don't take money to promote messages that we ourselves don't like. I think that's that's such that's a key it. thing. And that is, you know, obviously not everyone feels that way. But the point is that you can ethically run an advertise-driven watch media publication. You 100%. Have, but the 100%. brands are the problem. The brands are the ones that don't seem to understand that. But it can be done, and, 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 not, and not that you just have to have discipline. I guess I have my own form of discipline, it, you know, with the support of industry, the alternative, if the industry doesn't care, is the community-driven driven thing, which is scary. While it's also, I think, inevitable. I think it's scary because you you don't necessarily you don't necessarily want to do something you haven't done before yet. And I think that for someone like me, who sort of comes, I mean, I have a, a legal background. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a very odd thing to say. I'm your advocate now. Also, pay me even though that's exactly what I should be doing, it's the best advocates don't do it for the money.
0: So, you know, what I found was when, so, because as we've mentioned before, I do content creation in the gaming space, uh, you know, for the game Magic the Gathering, I have a podcast and I do tournament coverage and stuff like that. And I was very hesitant um, to monetize it in a meaningful way. But I came to the conclusion at one point that I would not be able to continue doing the show as regularly as I did with the level that I did it at if I couldn't dedicate more time to it and make it worth worth it. So for me, it was a decision that was pretty simple in the sense of like, well, it's either it doesn't exist anymore or I do this. So I did it. And now, you know, I've been on Patreon since it came out. So that's like 2014. And what I found was it has freed me to focus entirely on the thing that I want to focus on anyway, which is the content. But the interesting part is I also do ads on the show. Now I don't do ads for stuff that I don't use. I am really, really picky about that. And I partnered up with a website that sells the cards and all this stuff. And I like the site. I know the people who own it. I've used the site and I feel hundred percent good about sending my listener base there. And they totally understand. There's no conflict of interest, right, because I don't sell cards or anything like that. So it's just me saying, hey, if you're going to buy some, this is a good place to do it, and here's why. And to me, that's been the perfect harmony, right? That's the balance. And, I mean, it's kind of funny uh, talking about it because I've been – I actually want to have a similar setup for the YouTube channel. What I really want to do – like you said, I have some affiliate links, but you don't make anything off of those. They're just there because – it took me a couple hours and then I can just copy paste them in and, if, and help people find some stuff. But what I really want to do, what I really wanted to do, but I decided that it was just better for my viewers to, to not, is one of the videos I did last was I uh, my most requested video was what tools do I need to, to get into watchmaking. That isn't actually the type of video I want to do. I like taking apart watches and restoring them. That's the fun part. But I knew that this would be really useful, so I took the time to, to, I even scripted it out. I did all this stuff. I got it in there. And what I wanted to do was partner up with one of the watch material websites, or uh, watch materials like tools and, and consumables and stuff. And so I contacted a couple of them. And, I mean, I was cold calling them, you know, with no nothing behind me so <laughs> i didn't really expect it to go well i mean I've, I've had people do that to me and i don't usually there's not even that many that of
1: these of these businesses what's that these businesses you're talking about there's not even that many of
0: them there's not that many and and like i said i'm really picky so there's only a few that i actually use rely that i've been really reliable and good and that i would actually feel good about sending my people to but what i wanted to do was curate a few collections of tools that i picked and said i've used these these are good. Here's like the beginner package, the middle package, the advanced, you know, that kind of thing and be able to send them over. And you know how this stuff goes. Like I, I don't have some huge following. I'm not some major influencer, but people trust me now. Like the people that watch my videos know that I'm not jerking their chain, that I'm not doing this for money, that I'm not trying to do anything other than trying to open up this door to them. And people appreciate that. You have that. Right. Because they know and they can trust you and you can use your scruples to say, okay, I could take this advertising money for this thing, but it's not really what this website's about. It's not what I'm about. And so you say no. That's hard to do. That, that is something that requires a lot of integrity and people know it. Even if they don't see it directly, they know it, and they learn to trust and and what not to trust, you know. And I think that you have that. I think that I think your model is where you should be. That that's my opinion on it. Um, with Thank the you. advertising in there, but upfront about it, and not not over the top.
1: Yeah, it's all about transparency. And what what you're mm-hmm. saying has made me realize is I wish I don't know how this would ever be, be done, but I wish like members of the community would like be a fly on the wall. Well, I guess you can't do that because these are all phone calls and Zoom meetings, but just like listen in <laughs> on the like the business meetings I have with brands where I'm trying to say, "Okay, guys, in order to have like a great impact and inform our audience about the products that you make that they'll like, just I recommend you do this." And mm-hmm. that that isn't straightforward and that they don't really even then listen or even know how to have that conversation. Like, I push so hard for brands to create cool content that the audience will really, really like. Like, I'm working so hard to explain to these brands if you just do these things, people are going to like it. They're interested in this. They want to see your watches out in the field. They want to, you know, they want to see adventure stuff. Like, they, you know, people think about what do I do with this Zen watch, for example? Like, make mm-hmm. some of those dreams come true, Zen. Just show it off. It'll, it'll be yep. great. Explain I all it, the, you doesn't know what I mean? Does it feel
0: strange to, to be selling something that hard that you just know from your experience, your intuition, your heart is good <laughs> for this company? And they're like, yeah. And, and like, like, no, not. no.
1: <laughs> Maybe in a few. I remember there was this other German brand and they were doing something wrong and I told them nicely. And I almost got into this shouting argument with a woman. It was at this show, I remember. Oh, no. And she, this is what she basically said after I basically proved my point. She's like, well, that is our strategy that we chose this year and we're going to keep going along with it because we chose that strategy. Yeah, good
0: logic, yes. And I'm just like, We do it okay. this way because we do it this way. <laughs> and I was just
1: like, wow, I just showed you that what you did was a total waste and doesn't make sense. And you, and this was like, this was early on in the year. They totally could have just been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But no, that, I mean, that's, but you know what I realized later on? These are companies that are manufacturers. They plan out things that take two, yeah. or three years in advance to do, and they're manufacturers. They're not marketing companies. They're not distribution companies. They're not, they're not like retailers. They just make watches, yet they somehow have this. Belief, and again, I, I honestly, I don't mean this in a say in a mean way, but it is ego based that they can yeah. do all the rest as well, and that yes. they don't need anyone else. It's like, where did they come up with this?
0: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because you do see some of the companies that start to push those boundaries or that really commit to online stuff, and you know, they're really going to get a, give themselves a nice edge. I mean, they're probably. You know, if they're listening to this right now, they're probably screaming at their phone like, hey, stop talking about this. Let the, let the big guys just sit and sleep and uh, and I'll keep yeah. doing all the, you know, influencer Instagram stuff and and benefit from it. Because that's how I felt. I, I got one person from one of the big American watch websites to respond to me and then he didn't anymore. But I was like, I, you know, I was willing to say, look, we can do a promotion code and you could give me a percent. Like you don't even have to pay anything up front because <laughs> I'm just – like, can you imagine owning a watch tools website? You do not get new customers, right? No. You Only have working watchmakers that are co- that are just ordering the same stuff it, over and is over. Is
1: AutoFry still around?
0: Which one? Yeah. Auto oh yeah. Fry. Oh yeah. Auto Fry still around. Okay. Yeah. There, <laughs> Talk, those guys are like. Right that's a good one. Exactly. I, you know, them, uh, the, the, the one I, uh, that I contacted was Esslinger.com. Okay. Really slick site. Yeah, great good. service. Yeah. They're, re- they're, they're the ones that I go to the most for, for United States. And they're the ones that I wanted to work with the most, but I just couldn't get them to respond. I, I got one short response and then, you know, I kind of pitched them and then nothing. And then I did the, Hey, just checking up on this and nothing. So that was that. It, but, let me, but, let, me uh, let me ask you yeah. one
1: last thing. Cause we've, we've gone over the hour, but oh, so sure, we'll, we'll have to sure. do another show. But like, okay. Um, a quick, a quick thing, my, my experience with watchmaking, I guess I wanted to mention this as well. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've dabbled here and there. I, I, oh, I don't have the same. Oh, Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it just, I like that. It, look, you can't be, you can't be someone like me without at least understanding what's involved.
0: It does make sense. That's true.
1: Yeah. Um, so I've, 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 I've done, I've done my fair share of it and some of it I, I, I quite like, I have to say. And what got me in to it, honestly, was all these watches would be shipped to me and sometimes watches would be shipped to me and they wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, okay, Ariel, you can just send them back and wait and wait and wait. But maybe, just maybe, you could do it yourself. (laughs) And the first few times this happened, I I did. And then eventually I stopped doing it just because I I was like, you know, I don't have time for this nonsense. But Mm -hmm. I remember what would happen sometimes. I remember the first time I got a watch with uh, a 7750 in it. And it it wasn't working. And what ended up happening is one of the screws... It helped mount the movement to the case, mm-hmm. uh, dislodged itself, mm-hmm. and ended up being stuck in the balance wheel. <laughs> that's funny. okay. So I <laughs> that, had to, funny, yeah. and I knew. A, I knew I was. Uh, this was this was this was a. Lot, this was after I was doing this for maybe a year or something like that. Like I was very very green at that point, but I knew that these parts were so delicate that if I moved them wrong, I could bend them and completely oh, yeah. screw up the operation of the watch. It was like, how <clears> do I delicately <throat> remove a screw? You know, and it was it, – it was it took practice and I and I did it and I – you know, the the watch worked. And I remember feeling that first like – you probably felt it at some point where like the first time you make a watch work again. You know what I mean? It's like, it's oh, such that's, a this is great. This is a great feeling. It's working now. Like such a good feeling.
0: It really – it's like, you know, some people like to jump out of airplanes or bungee jump. I'll tell you, man, I see that balance wheel kick up again and I'm feeling it. I am – I'm loving every second of it. It, yeah. it is a real thrill, especially – for like a vintage watch that's been out of commission, and now somebody gets to wear it and enjoy it again because you took the time uh, to get in there and fix it. It it, <laughs> it really is just one of the best feelings. It, it's hard to describe because you just wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's, when it kicks up again, it feels so oh, good. Oh, look,
1: there, there are joys joys to this nerdery. Okay, so yes. I, 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 I realize okay, I got to get some watch tools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you – you go to factories and that, that was actually the best thing for me is I have been to so many factories. I Mm -hmm. see exactly how watches are made, decorated, cleaned, serviced. And like, I don't know, at least a hundred different factories at this point.
0: Okay. I want to, I want to pick your brain about this stuff. In (laughs) America, in Germany, in
1: England, of course in Switzerland, in Italy, in Japan, and multiples in a lot of these countries, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've seen everything. And at some point you realize, like, you just get all Bergeon stuff? Because the Bergeon stuff is, like, it's it's some of it's the best. It's not the only mm-hmm. company out there. But, like, I, you know, there's always going to be that hobbyist that likes watches and just says, you know what, I'd really like to have, like, a well-equipped watchmaker's desk with all the basic tools. You know, it just, I, I have a million dollars in watches. I might as well just have, you know, this, right. this, this setup desk. And it seems to me, if you just get a bunch of Bergeon stuff, like, like you're pretty good, like, the, the the hard part in this in, in this in this hobby is not like learning what tools to get. You just have to spend the money on them. The hard part is, like you said, knowing the order to to do things, to do it delicately, um, you know, how not to break things while you're doing it. But like getting good tools, like that's not a science right there.
0: No, it's not. And it, you know, the the thing that people face when they first come in when it comes to tools is the generic Chinese-made stuff is. It's usually about a tenth of the price of like good Swiss made like Bergeon stuff. Yeah, like really, t- it's
1: really so cheap by comparison.
0: When they're when they don't know for sure that this is going to be a hobby that they want, it's very tempting to spend three dollars rather than thirty five on a pair of tweezers or whatever. And so they will often ask, "Well, can I just get away with this?" And so that's actually why I made that video. I mentioned was to guide them through the different, like, because there are a few exceptions where you can get the Chinese made thing and it basically performs the same function as what you would pay much more for. But anything that is like touching the watch, anything that requires any amount of precision, it's much, much better to get the good stuff. I mean, not just for the use of it. But also, I mean, if you do decide that you don't want to do this anymore, you can put that stuff up on eBay and get a good chunk back where the generic stuff, it's just throw it in the garbage. Unlike you know.
1: some of your watches. What's that? It said you can put the stuff up on eBay, the tools, and get a good chunk of your money back, <laughs> unlike some of your watches.
0: Unlike some of your unlike, watches, okay. that's right. <laughs> This has
1: been a great conversation. I hope you'll come back, Marshall. Everyone, Marshall Sutcliffe, from Wristwatch Revival, a channel on YouTube. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Superlative.
0: Hey, I really appreciate it, Aria. I'd love to come
1: back. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe...